Hello, I'm Felix, and welcome to You Gotta Hack That, the podcast all about the security behind the Internet of Things. In this episode, I'm going to talk to you about the IoT and embedded systems penetration testing process. Now, at first glance, uh, talking about the penetration testing process could be quite dry, but I think this will still be quite illuminating for most of you. To start off with, though, I want to consider what like normal, in quotes, penetration testing is actually all about. So pen testing is a a process which technical people, often geeks and nerds, will go through to then be able to tell their customers, you know, actually, how secure are they from their perspective? Ultimately, when you boil it down, it's about threat simulation. You know, ultimately, those, those pen testers are being the threat for you as a customer. And so therefore, they're going through that kind of process of, well, can I work out what systems you've got? And can I therefore identify weaknesses uh, in them, either because they're publicly known already, or they're, they're new weaknesses, and therefore be able to take action against you that would cause harm in some degree or other. Now, from a, a customer's perspective, the exercise might well be motivated in a few different ways. You know, that that process can be uh, really useful for organizations, but it has to be useful for the right reasons. So, for instance, there might well be like a contractual reason why you are required as an organization to do a pen test every year. And that might well just be a client assurance or or something similar to that. But also you'll find that there's standards compliance requirements. So if, if you happen to be uh, certified to ISO 27001 or, or something along those lines, then you might well be required to consider that sort of thing as part of your certification. There's also like the other stuff around regulation where the government or your industry body says you must do this sort of pen test every X period of time so that you can prove that you are you know, treating your security seriously and, and taking, uh, taking actions where it's required. Another part that often gets misunderstood is kind of like the level or depth of a pen test. Many organizations just assume that they have to do a massive pen test once every year or something similar to that, and uh, and that's just not true. It kind of works when you're talking about smaller scale products and services uh, or businesses, but actually when you're looking at uh, a large multinational corporation or a government body or something like that, then actually you probably need to do lots of little pen tests that specify a particular scope and a particular level of depth that uh, you're expecting those pen testers to go to. Pen testing is one of those kind of those things that doesn't necessarily have an end point to it. You can take pen testing as far as you want, and and whilst there's a temptation to to do as little as you can get away with because of budgets, um, it depends on why you're doing it, whether or not that's appropriate. IoT and embedded systems penetration testing is actually quite similar in in that regard in terms of like the the motivation and the the idea about how you define the scope and and the kind of high level objectives but as far as the technical side of things is concerned it can be all of what encompasses a normal penetration test but a hell of a lot more as well that's because the average IoT device will probably have a mobile app which has a a web api that goes with it potentially also a web application Um, there may well be apis that communicate from one server to another server or third parties integrated into it for various reasons but then you've also got 
like hardware that's involved too. So there should be some element of, well, penetration testing of the hardware, which is often really thought about as hardware reverse engineering. You know, can I get a copy of a device and then work out what it's doing and what the components are and, and therefore be able to find a foothold on that? The same applies to things like the software that's running inside the device. Can I reverse engineer that and, and do some code analysis, say? And then, obviously, you'll also have things like wireless communications, which is massively prevalent when it comes to embedded systems and, and IoT in particular. So wireless reverse engineering, that kind of stuff is definitely a thing. You'll also find that in your average IoT ecosystem, you'll have many different parts that are all related. So you might well have a device, and then you might have a hub that goes with it. And then let's not forget the bits that are common with normal networks are, you know, there's going to be some infrastructure somewhere. There's probably some cloud accounts in AWS or Azure or something similar, and they also need pen testing or at least an assessment. And then you probably have a corporate network to go alongside this as well for your developers to work on or for your HR department to look after. And it depends on how your systems are segmented and, and can set up whether or not that, that should be part of your thinking when it comes to the security of your IoT or embedded system. So let's touch on each of those different elements just briefly to talk about what sort of things you might expect from uh, that side of penetration testing when it comes to IoT. For a starting point, let's think about the, the smart apps on your, your phone or on a tablet or something like that and the, and the web apps that go with it. They're often quite similar in that they have an API or, or something that your smart app or your web app communicates with in a like a, a many-tier architecture uh, or a single-page web application type idea where there's something that drives small transactional requests and responses to a server somewhere. Now, that's all kind of normal web application testing and, and that sort of thing. But it goes one step further when it comes to the IoT and embedded space because it also requires interaction with the device or the, the, you know, the embedded system that's actually part of the purpose of this system. And so from a tester's point of view, it's quite important to know, well, what is that device doing and how do I interact with it via this app? Uh, so as a really simplistic example, you know, could I, um, could I detect or can I influence uh, the, a smart plug? You know, can I turn it on or off using an attack against a web application? That's kind of obviously uh, a very simplistic example, but it goes as much, you know, as wild as you need it to, as, as far as the concept is concerned, depending on the context of the device. The same applies in reverse. It's not just what can you do to the device, it's what can you detect from the device. So the data that comes from it, can I extract that some way that's not supposed to be the case via the web application? You know, if you're thinking about motion sensors or, or similar uh, devices, you know, thermostats, that kind of thing, can I detect that uh, without authentication, say, via the web application. Not only is it important to think about it in those contexts, but the smart app and the web application tend to also be involved in the pairing process. So uh, the pairing process or onboarding process is how you get a specific device associated with a particular consumer's 
account on the web application? Um, how does that process happen? And how do you prove that it was in that place at that time? Or it was definitely somebody who bought the item or you know has a license for the item, again, depending on the, the context of that particular system. Hardware reverse engineering is is personally one of my favorite parts of this. It kind of gets you really involved in the, the product set and gives you a huge amount of context and gives you time to think about how this might well have been uh, taken advantage of in the past or how it might be in the future. Hardware reverse engineering is the process of discovering how the hardware works. And that, that might sound really obvious now, I've said it out loud, but it's it's kind of, I don't know, lots of people think about IoT and embedded systems as being these nice little black boxes that do magic and you kind of put stuff in and, and stuff comes out again, but actually they're hugely complex. The objective here then would maybe be just simply getting a foothold on the device so that you can interact with the operating system or whatever it is that is running. Um, or it might be more involved than that, like trying to extract the firmware. When I'm doing this sort of work, or when the team's doing this sort of work, what we look at is uh, what is connected to what. And we're talking here about like what the components are. So looking at literally the chips on the PCBs and how they're connected together. We'd also need to know what those components are, You know what those integrated circuits or those chips are, so that we can identify what sort of process they're uh, part of, what they do for that system. And there's usually hundreds of different components, some of which you can discard quite quickly, but others take quite a bit of research and working out, well, what actually is that? Who made that? And how does it operate? And gaining things like the data sheet so you can identify how to interact with it. And that's a really key component when it comes to understanding what the attack surfaces might well be of that physical device, because you have to understand how to interact with each of those parts before you're able to then dive any deeper. On some embedded systems, you might also find that there have been physical defensive put, uh, defenses put in place such that you have to actually make physical changes to the system to be able to interact with it. The most common example of this would be where there's been a component removed on a, a connector, which would be then used for debugging later, but the component being removed prevents those connections from working. To take that a step further, you need to understand whether or not any of those components have things like JTAG or SWD accessible, which are interfaces for doing debugging of the, the software, the firmware that's running on a particular chip. You might also find that those chips will have uh, console access, like a serial or UART interface. And if you've got that, then you might well be able to interact with it using a, a component that connects to uh, the USB port on your computer. You might have to do work first, like using a logic analyzer to understand what it is uh, communicating and how it's communicating. But the, the principle is the same, is once you can communicate on the console, it means you can potentially bypass all sorts of different uh, software restrictions that would otherwise not be possible. Um, so you can communicate with the operating system directly rather than via one of its normal interfaces. There's also the concept of chip-to-chip -chip communication and inspecting the traffic that is sent from one chip to another. The best example of this is if you have a, uh, a firmware storage chip, a flash chip, say, and it's communicating with a processor or something similar. And when you turn on the device, it has to load that software from the, the chip, the storage chip. That might well be via I squared C or something along those lines, 
but it's essentially the same concept is you're sniffing that traffic to then be able to potentially rebuild that firmware or that software later on. In a similar vein, you can do things like chip sucking, which is where you attach a connector to a chip and then power it on via a third-party device or via the other components on the board and then get it to expose some of its uh, firmware that way. A more extreme example of that is where you actually have to desolder the chip and take it off of the, the, the board and then power it in completely independently and hope that you're able to do that without A, damaging it, but also work out how to then extract the, the firmware. There's also something called glitching, which is a, a lovely concept, but it's essentially where you do something uh, to the chip, which then causes it to behave in an unexpected way. The best example of this is using those electric uh, cigarette lighter spark generation uh, devices that are inside those electric cigarette lighters uh, and next to the chip. And that, that spark produces electromagnetic radiation, which then can interfere with the inner workings of that chip, either that by you know changing a bit of the memory, uh, literally from a zero to a one or something like that, uh, and therefore stopping it from uh, using a security protection mechanism or you know, bypassing a, a, an execution command or, or something like that. But there, in doing so, you end up with uh, access to a part of the system that you would not otherwise need to have access to uh, for normal operation, but does allow access for something that might well allow you to take advantage of the system a bit more. Once you've done the hardware reverse engineering, you'll often end up with a copy of the firmware. And the firmware is essentially it's software, but it's it's firmware is the name because it doesn't change very often, or at least that's the idea behind it some years ago uh, when these embedded systems started cropping up. And the um, the idea here is that you do reverse engineering of that firmware, and it's much the same conceptual process as you would with the hardware reverse engineering. So it's, it's discovering how that software works. But this time it's also looking for software flaws. So things like hard-coded credentials, or the use of unsafe programming language functions, uh, unsanitized import or outdated components, that kind of thing. Um, and it's not just in terms of the, the bit of code that's been written for the application, for the context of the device, but also all of the supporting functions that might well run the operating system or the libraries that have been imported by uh, the developers from third parties. To do this sort of work, there's loads of different approaches, but essentially we're talking about static versus dynamic analysis of that code. And this is uh, possible depending on what access you've got, what uh, data you've managed to extract. Um, and, and as a result, the tools you'll use vary quite significantly. Um, some tools just give you really good depth of coverage very quickly, but they're not very uh, context-driven or they might well miss things depending on exactly how it's all set up. So you kind of want to use those just to, to make some progress, but not necessarily to be reliant upon. You might have to do decompilation using tools like Ghidra and uh, other reverse engineering tool sets to be able to understand what the code is trying to do, but without the source code, the original code that actually came from, you'd have to have a look at the, the machine code instead and, and be able to, to extract some logic from that. And similarly, you can do things like uh, emulation of the system or at least you know, components of the system such that you can then fuzz that device or fuzz the interfaces somehow. 
wireless reverse engineering is is more and more prevalent too because frankly iot devices don't do much usually without a wireless interface and that doesn't necessarily mean wi-fi it can mean any number of the different protocols that exist and there are lots of those what you can then do is things like fuzzing so uh can you craft messages that are not necessarily syntactically correct, although it often helps, but then can you do stuff against the uh, receiver using badly formed packets using this Wi-Fi or other wireless technology? We're looking at here exploring the protocol weaknesses, and, and so that might well be Zigbee or something similar, but it's like, can I do a replay attack against that particular uh, protocol stack, uh, you know, all the components that are in there, um, or is it suitably protected from that? And there are other problems as well, like, you know, has it got suitable encryption and authentication mechanisms in place? Can I look at the like timing attacks of this? You know, if it's a, a an inductive process like NFC, can I um, identify uh, like timing problems that then show that it's got a particular encryption key or you know something like that? There's loads of different functionality here, and it's it's looking at a huge range of restrictions uh, that might well be in place. This often uses quite specialist equipment. Um, so that might well be like a software-defined radio. It might be a cheap one, like a HackRF, or it might be a really high-end one, depending on exactly what you need to do with this. Also, it could be all sorts of other bits of pre-made kit. You don't necessarily have to use the really hardcore, let's do byte-by-byte type transmission uh, via an SDR, a software-defined radio. It could well be that you can get away with just a nice Bluetooth dongle that allows packet injection. It's also worth noting that an IoT or embedded systems pen test might well be required to be done against multiple different devices. Now, there's a few reasons for this. You might find that actually there's just quite a few different models or variances of that particular type of kit available. But actually, more likely than not, you might well have more than one part of the same ecosystem. So you might well have like several different sensors, say, that are all connected to a singular hub, in which case you've got three or four sensors and the hub, and they all probably need their own set of pen testing activities. And let's not forget, there's all of the, in quotes, normal pen testing stuff too. So the infrastructure that goes underneath all of this, the supporting uh, network that looks after your HR department or your corporate services, the developers, all of that stuff, you need to consider that when you're thinking about doing your penetration testing. How does it all interact with each other? It might well be a standalone, whole different exercise, but it might have some direct impact as well, depending on exactly what the context is there. So a quick part about who should do that penetration testing. I would say that um, what you're probably looking for is individuals who are creative and critical thinkers. Now, that last part is super important because the, the fact is that most people who are in tech or in just in life, they kind of go along with life just thinking, well, actually, this, this works like it does because that's how it's designed. The critical thinkers will come in and ask those questions like, well, what if I insert thing here? Or what if I break that thing over there? You know, what else does that happen uh, have an effect on? And how else can I take advantage of this? That process is utterly crucial to being able to discover key vulnerabilities in the system. So the individual's 
involved in a an iot or embedded systems penetration test might not necessarily be particularly certified now that sounds a bit counterintuitive pen testing has loads of different certifications in there and people have been raving about them for years and i kind of get why that would maybe be people's default position however you might find that actually the certificate that you kind of want to exist doesn't actually exist. You know, there is maybe no certificate for being a pen tester of Zigbee equipment, for, for example. So don't rely on certifications to prove that this particular individual is good at their job. Talk to them about what other types of activity they've done and don't necessarily expect them to have done work against your context or your set of devices because that's not necessarily the most important thing. It's about how they approach the task, whether or not they're capable of of assimilating the information and therefore also being able to take that information and critically work through, well, what actually are the moving parts here and how can they be affected? Ultimately, one of the things you're looking for is to learn from the experience. And to achieve that, what you need is at least one person within a team who's really good at communicating what the findings are and and performing that analysis with you so that you can take that away and make improvements and learn from this. Pen testing is not supposed to be a dark art where magic things happen. Actually, good pen testers will tell you how their things were done and what they think of them as well as the kind of the raw facts as uh, as far as the it was done like this and this is the impact you probably also want to look for teams that have a threat analyst amongst them and that's because what you want is to be able to put your device within the correct context it's all well and good me telling you that you don't have cryptography correctly configured for a particular communications link. But actually, if that communications link is only possible of doing wireless communication over five centimeters, well, actually, encryption might not be that big a deal. I need to point out here that I have an obvious bias when it comes to who should do the testing because I do that sort of work. I think if you've got a cool project, you should pay me to do it for you. But that's obviously my bias. There's a few different styles of testing that you might want to consider as well. Uh, They used to be called black box and white box testing, amongst other things. And essentially, this is a transparent versus opaque test, if you'll forgive the new terms. The the idea here is that transparent tests are where you, um, as a customer, you provide loads of information. You might provide source code. Uh, you might provide diagrams, that kind of thing. Whereas an opaque one is, uh, here's, a, here's a device. Go see what you can do. Both of these need to be time-limited exercises because ultimately you can spend a huge amount of time doing this sort of pen testing work. And it depends on what it is you want to achieve. IoT and embedded systems tend to be a bit more towards the transparent side of things because of that scale problem. Uh, And what this means in practice is you can actually skip steps. Uh, You don't have to go linearly through each of those different aspects like I've just discussed. You could maybe go straight into the firmware analysis part and not bother with the hardware side of things Um, and that's you know perfectly legitimate and it depends on what you're trying to achieve what your budget might well be as a a way of thinking about this one of the good ways of dealing with it is perhaps having like a phased exercise so you start off with a week doing this exercise part and then you do another bit a couple weeks later after you've understood the results of that first phase Uh, you might well go from like the hardware for phase one and then the the firmware for phase two and then the radio frequency you know stuff for phase three 
and so on. That's just an example. It very much depends on how your setup is. It's also really important to understand that uh, IoT, particularly the hardware side of things, can be quite destructive. It should be considered destructive by default. And if that's a problem, then you need to work through that with your uh, potential IoT pen testing provider to work out how that could be minimized or you know, whether it can be avoided altogether. The reason it's destructive is because if I'm looking at a hardware device and I need to take a chip off, I'm probably not going to put it back on there. And if I do, it's probably not going to be particularly neat. So you wouldn't want that device back anyway. Um, there's also other things like if I'm probing around with it and I'm accidentally managed to stick a, I don't know, the, the, the voltage too high in a particular component, it might not well work later on. There's loads of different parts to this. Good penetration testers don't tend to have these problems very often, but you should assume that it is going to be destructive. Your budget is a big factor when it comes to the penetration testing process and what elements you choose to do. It varies massively and it depends on whether you need retesting or not, whether or not you've got a huge number of different components in your ecosystem, uh, how many components there are within a particular device and the complexity of that device and the approach that you want them to take. But what I would urge is that you do something. Even if you've only got a small budget or you've got a limited amount of time to deal with the results is do something and then follow it up in smaller pieces later on. That's definitely better than not doing anything at all. Thank you for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please give the show a rating or review in your podcast app. Tweet about it, post it somewhere. We would really appreciate it. To talk to us about any aspect of the show, suggest a future topic, or to ask a question about IoT security, please get in touch via email on helpme at yg.ht with at goddo underscore hack via Twitter or by searching You Gotta Hack That on LinkedIn.